0: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. There are those who believe that life here began out there. (laughs) We can rebuild him.
1: Hercules Atlas.
0: These are their stories.
1: Autopilot with scott johnson and tom Merritt. hello everybody and welcome back to autopilot autopilot season two episode 12 what would normally be the end of a season but no because of your fantastic support there's a bonus episode coming up next week i know crazy right uh i'm scott just the facts ma'am johnson and that's Tom, where's my Colonel Potter, Merritt?
2: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was all excited about that. We talked about that last week, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's, I, pff, there's just all kinds of crazy things about Dragnet that I didn't realize until we started this episode. Oh, yeah. He's,
1: yeah, and we're going to dig in deep. A uh, special guest today coming up a little bit later in the show, Andy Beach, who chose this episode. We'll, uh, we'll introduce him in a bit and talk about why he chose this episode and what it is about Dragnet that he think is, thinks is so important to the overall procedural Uh, genre I guess you could call it and uh, that'll be a whole lot of fun but before we get too far into things Tom tell me what is Dragnet? Dragnet is the first episode of Autopilot where we had to decide to stick to
2: television (laughs) uh, because Dragnet first debuted on radio June 3rd, 1949. It ran as a radio series until February 26th, 1957 on NBC Radio. Uh, the Human Bomb, which was actually adapted from the July 21st, 1949 radio episode, first aired on TV December 16th, 1951. It was essentially a pilot directed by Jack Webb, uh, the creator of Dragnet, and written by James E. Moser and Jack Webb. Uh, and it was aired on... On December 16th, 1951, is a presentation of the NBC program Chesterfield Sound Off Time. Whoa. So this was a, a a test to see if, hey, can we take this radio program that seems pretty popular and turn it into a TV show? And and I guess it did.
1: Yeah, that and that's that's a good thing. I think you said this is the first radio to TV thing we've covered. My expectation is I, I could be wrong, but I'll bet you the next one we do like that will end up being something like gunsmoke. Mm-hmm. Um which is a little bit older uh but but I, but I wanted to point out age here this is the oldest TV show we've done here on the show correct me if I'm wrong but I can't I thought, remember no I think you're right yeah. yeah
2: It's certainly well I mean if you consider its roots in 19 uh 49 then yeah it's, it's it's definitely the oldest week. yeah done yeah um it's it, it, it was an interesting point where we are because uh, there's always this question of like okay what's the actual pilot right right because different shows do it differently sometimes it's it's a there's a special like, like life on mars for instance where they did a version and they were like nope gonna change all the actors and everything and we're like okay well that's that's the actual pilot although it's not actually the first episode this time it's like okay the actual pilot was on radio so we're just We're going to stick to
1: television. Sure, sure. We're going to
2: talk about the 1951 pilot, which, you know, and then there's been several rebirths of Dragnet over the years that that we'll talk about as well.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. There's one in particular that I'm super sad about uh, not existing still that I actually really got into. We'll get to that later in the show. Um, It also is the first episode we've done where the episode is in the public domain. Uh, You can actually get this on uh, the Internet Archive at archive.org and watch the thing in its entirety, which is where I watched it. Um, and it's really interesting that we you know, that we could go and, and see a thing that isn't in some kind of big copyright fight and uh, just sort of see it freely and openly like that, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way copyright's supposed to work. Supposed but, to work that way. It eh, well. doesn't often. All right, that's a discussion for another day. Indeed. Let's discuss the weirder things.
0: Fifty-five minutes ago, a man walked into this building with a homemade bomb under his arm. He said that we don't release his brother from the county jail by nine o'clock this morning. You're
1: gonna set off the bomb and blow up the building, please. Oof. The, the the sound quality in the uh, public version a little rough, but uh, that was Raymond Burr, everybody uh, playing the police chief. Uh, police chief in there, also a uh, a huge voice in uh, late '40s, early '50s radio. Uh, let's talk about some of the oddities, some of the weird stuff in the uh, in the episode. Tom, you wanna tell me about uh, what you know? Some of the some of the stranger things.
2: Uh Friday's original partner in the TV episode, as on radio, was Sergeant Ben Romero. He's played by Barton Yarborough. Uh, he died of a heart attack after only three episodes were filmed and was replaced first by Detective Sergeant Ed Jacobs, played by Barney Phillips, and then by Officer Frank Smith. Uh, Smith was first played by Herb Ellis. After four episodes, Ben Alexander. Took over the role. So when we're like, where's my Harry Potter? Yeah, yeah a lot of partners to get through before you get to Colonel, uh, Colonel Potter, uh, Harry Morgan, who came along in the 60s revival of Dragnet.
1: I like that you called him Harry Potter. I think that's a great, that's an awesome mashup of Harry I Morgan. Oh, right. It's,
2: it's, it's <laughs> yeah.
1: Colonel Potter, Harry Potter. I do Harry all Morgan. the time. Um, yeah, that was a little bit weird. I mean, everybody, when you think about Dragnet, I think it's pretty common to just think of Harry Morgan being there with him. I mean, he became the iconic partner. Uh, for sure, these other guys were great and all, but, but he he kind of was the face of it. And um, it wasn't until much later in the series. Not much later, but a, a, way, a ways down the road that you started to see him. And certainly in the 60s run, he was, uh, he was there throughout. And I think an important part of all that. Uh, I'm a big Harry Morgan fan, so uh, watching him do that stuff is great. Let's dig behind the scenes now. Is there anything else we ought to know? Any plan we ought to follow? Well, he's in there and he's got a bomb. Take it away from him. Whoa, that's all you got to do? Uh, there's a little bit of trivia about the uh, the episode dragnet had its origins in webb's small role as a police forensic scientist in the 1948 film so we're going even further back uh, that movie was called he walked by night uh it sort of inspired by the violent 1946 crime spree of Irwin walker uh, a disturbed world war ii veteran and a former glendale california police department employee which is that's pretty hardcore stuff but you know, look. You can see in in that film. I've never seen He Walked by Night, but you can see in the kind of that gritty film noir post post World War II stuff uh, the origins of you know what would become the Dragnet we know today.
2: Yeah, and Webb really wanted authenticity. More than anything else, he would uh, frequently visit police headquarters, drove on night patrols with Sergeant Wynn, W-Y-N-N, and his partner, Officer Vance Brasher. Uh, Webb actually attended police academy courses just so he could learn the jargon and any other details uh, that he could work into the program. And he insisted on hiring actors, writers, and production staff from radio to work on the TV series, which bucked the prevailing wisdom at the time. Back then, it's funny, we talk about translating television into Internet uh, these days a lot in the same sort of way that they were talking at that time about radio into TV. And the prevailing wisdom was where TV not radio. You can't just take people from radio and put them in front of a camera if you really want it to be successful. But Jack Webb said, no, you can't. But these people are talented. They know how to tell stories. And as long as we adapt, they're the right people to do this.
1: Yeah. And early episodes involve cases that have been handled by the robbery and homicide divisions, uh, which uh, at the time were located on the ground floor of that L.A. City Hall thing that you see so iconically in the episodes. And I'm kind of excited to talk to our guest about this particular piece of the story, which is these are all supposed to be based on actual crimes, um, actual you know, uh, actual cases that were solved. Uh, by that division, I want to know how true that is. So we'll, the
2: stories we'll, yeah. you see are truth, Scott.
1: <laughs> the names were changed. Oh, I see. To protect the innocent. I feel like I'm getting punked by that show a little bit, but we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll get there and find out. Um, but. Uh, instead of waiting too long to do that let's do it now let's find out what happened
0: we had two big questions and we needed the answers fast was vernon carney holding a real bomb or was it only a harmless gadget
1: well you'll have to wait and find out because we're going to bring in our guest ladies and gentlemen join with me in welcoming the purveyor of this episode mr andy beach on the line andy welcome
3: Hi guys, how's it going?
1: Good. Uh Andy's an old friend of uh of everybody's here. Um I remember we had you on Forecast, which is one of my favorite episodes.
3: I love that one. of yep. that
1: show. Uh and it's just good to have you back. We knew that you'd be an easy guest cuz we know you from that. Been on a bunch of other twit stuff. Uh kind of a video genius for those out there not in the know. Um, I like to
3: think of myself as a friend of the network.
1: Yes, indeed. And I read by the way, I read your book. Uh Oh, thank you. And it's great. Um it's it's you'd think it'd be oh wow this is only for compression nerds and you know people who are really into video production in a very sort of base level scientific hacker kind of way and it ended up being kind of weirdly entertaining on lots of levels and i thought that turned out great so it's it's, it's hard for
3: me to pull the sarcasm out when even when i'm writing that kind of stuff and so it 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 leaks in through i'm glad that. I'm glad uh-huh. made
1: for a better read. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, Andy, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks uh, again so much for your support of uh, of uh, of the show. It's been you know it's been a real pleasure to uh, to not only have that support but to have you on talking about Dragnet. What is it about about Dragnet that made you pick it? Uh, and you know, let's talk a little bit about the episode itself. What is it you like about uh, Jack Webb and the origins of the show?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I remember watching the '67 show as a kid on repeats you know like as in syndication uh i remember it just being on kind of all the time it was one of those shows that was around and so and i i've always had this love of like crime drama shows and thrillers and things like that's you know that and sci-fi are like the two things that i, re- I really like and and this is like the proto example of that like just as you guys were talking about this is the, like one of those early examples of translating radio into tv but it's also kind of defining the tv procedural but also the tv sort of crime drama and and that route that he takes uh, that jack webb takes of of making everything so sort of showing that it's not just like the action, there's mundane things that you have to go through and there's process that you're, you're driving through and you're going to try this and then you're going to try that and you're going to f- do it until you find the right way to do it. And, and I just found all that fascinating. So it was, it was great to be able to offer this one up as, a, as an example.
1: Yeah, the, the story itself deals with a man uh, threatening to blow up City Hall if he doesn't get his demands. Basically, he wants his brother to be freed.
3: Vernon Carney wants his
1: brother back. Yeah, bad, real bad, and uh, to the to the degree that he's made a pretty wicked bomb uh, to blow things up. And what I was struck with, and I, Tom, I'd love to hear your take on this as well, is this the style of this show set it set itself up real early. And of course, the radio plays were like this too. So it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like they had to reinvent this. But it's really the first time in television we got a show where you have a pretty high tension situation, a pretty bad deal going down but the approach is not a panicked action driven freak out. It's this, this deadpan, uh, you know, just the facts, man, which phrase we'll get to in a minute as to whether that actually is a real thing <laughs> or not. Right, right. Um, but, but this deadpan approach to the, to the actual action on screen, like the, the way Jack Webb is just sort of just straight to business. You know, there's not a lot of emotion coming out of that guy. Um,
2: well, I feel like that's uh, a testament to the authenticity play that Jack Webb was, was making. And, and in fact, uh, we, we kind of forget that that sort of authenticity was pursued even that far back. In television history, we kind of think, right. oh, back back in the day, you just, you know, threw, threw up a, a matte painting in the background and and, and some bad dialogue and anybody would watch anything because there are only three or four channels. Right. right. Uh, but but it wasn't. And Jack Webb was bucking the trend of like, all right, we're not going to write about cop things because we think we know. Because we read the newspapers, I'm I'm going to dig into this. I'm I'm going to research, uh, you know. And you still have people like Aaron Sorkin. We talked about that with the newsroom doing that sort of thing today, uh, saying, "Look, I want to I want to tell a realistic version of the story." And and there's so many so many great anecdotes about Webb having detectives on the set so that he could use their badges in right. in, in the in the in the video in, in the actual television shooting, uh, you know and. Today, we would easily just replicate it, and we 'd be all proud like, "Aha, we actually replicated the actual badge, so it looks the same, But he went several steps further and 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 to get back to what you 're talking about his demeanor, I think he was trying to show that the drama is inherent in the situation, and you don 't have to hype it up with a bunch of fake you know reactions and 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 and, and fake over dramatization that that in fact the the drama sort of pops out even more poignantly. If the people are professionals and and acting the the way they would actually act,
1: yeah what do you think what does how's that land on you Andy? do you do you agree with that? do you think that that's kind oh, of the point
3: oh yeah, I, totally i mean he was so Webb was totally into the the authenticity the The point you made about the badges was was totally true and and one of the things that he did actually was that he would use their names in the production so rather than just have a fake name for another cop. He would sort of thank the cops that were helping the production by using their names and by using the real names of the commissioner and the, the lieutenants and the other people that were actually there at the time. So um, the
2: names weren't changed. Oh, wait, no. Those, <laughs> were, those, <laughs> were
3: the, those are the criminals. Yeah. You know, and the, you, this episode was actually shot at City Hall, but later episodes, as they, as they sort of get into it, he recreated the sets down to the square footage. And so it was the exact amount of, like, feet that you had to walk from the lieutenant's office back to where the detectives would sit and things like that i mean he was just a stickler for the details about how these things were going because he wanted to make it as real as possible to point out that there was real tension and and action in things that were sometimes mundane
1: yeah they 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 probably had a lot more freedom too when they got their own sets. Um, oh yeah. This this one definitely felt like I mean, I know it was 1951, and I know you know it's a different time, but I really did feel like somebody just had a camera jammed into an office <laughs> somewhere, and you know it wasn't it wasn't nearly what they wanted to do in terms of that feel. But I guess it did lend a I don't know an air of authenticity to it. But speaking of that question, so this so I got two. Well, I, I was just
2: I just wanted to say it, it's an actual pilot in that respect, where it's like, hey, we don't have budget for a set, so right. we'll,
1: we'll shoot it wherever we can. Right. Uh, but and it, an
2: idea,
3: and it also kind of goes back to that point of a lot of these guys were radio guys that that Webb was pulling in and being very intentional about and. You get that feel of I could have turned the the screen off and just listened to this and completely gotten the story. Yeah. I mean, to the point of there's a point where there's a shot of him looking at his wrist of his wristwatch turning towards the camera because it's first person view, and uh, and he narrates. I quickly checked my watch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like it's such a narrative driven thing because they were all radio guys that in a way the one of the weakest points is maybe the the visual elements and the visual language that goes into it. Which is totally different from sort of, I'd say, Dragnet 67, which is like 16 or 17 years later, where they definitely got the visual style down and you you see sort of more of a blending of the two, of the, the sort of audio narrative and the visual
1: narrative. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty driven to go watch uh, all of those, uh, the 67 era stuff. I would love that stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I haven't seen them for a long time. So here's the question. It on based screen. on a real story or based on actual cases, how true is that? line do you think do you think there do you think some of that stuff is i mean obviously some of it's fudged but was there really a dude in city hall with a bunch of bombs strapped to him or are they just punking us about that fact or lack of facts
3: so i'm fairly certain this one i, I can't remember looking this one up but i i do know that many of the cases were were based on on actual events there's a there's one later that was actually very controversial uh about a uh uh, a child dying who uh, uh, accidentally shot. A, uh, let's see, he accidentally shot his friend with a twenty-two Chester Win, uh, twenty-two Winchester rifle that he got for Christmas, yeah. and it was a super controversial one because the NRA hated it. There were lots of places that just called in and complained about it, but it was one of the highest-rated episodes, and it was kind of their Christmas episode. Uh, that they re-showed year and year, like it, it went on, like they showed it three Christmases in a row because it was so popular. Wow. And it was based on a, on a real original case, but then they also came back later after the sort of first sets of complaints about it and showed dozens of cases across the states where where very similar things had happened. And so they were, they were not shy about using real cases. They weren't shy about touching on points that were kind of taboo up until that point. I mean, you know, talking about a child's death – on tv in the 50s that's like unheard of and you know some of the sort of they they talk about sexual assault and other things that just you know hadn't been touched
1: before sure and even well even today some of those subjects are still difficult to dance around like they have to be careful with certain things but but it's not i guess what i'm asking is was there ever an episode like a shark jumping episode where somebody walked in and you know levitated a horse (laughs) or something and then said? this is normal and it was based on a real case (laughs)
3: nothing that i ever saw in the and maybe tom knows better but i I, nothing i in looking through them not all the cases are salacious like while there's one or two that pop out that are like that there are some that are just like you know check fraud and that kind of stuff like there really are some like mundane cases that are mixed in there because that's what real police work is like sometimes you get a crazy case like a guy trying to blow up city hall And sometimes you're just trying to to deal with everyday robbery cases. Wow.
2: Yeah, I I haven't found too much uh, about that. There there have been a few folks who say, oh, you know, we 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 worked in LAPD at the time, and we we'd sort of laugh at these episodes because they weren't exact. You know, they were trying to be so authentic, but it really wasn't the way it was uh, in real life. But I've never, I and I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I've never come across uh anything that said no that that was entirely made up it was entirely whole cloth uh, i'm looking right now at an l a times article what's this from november sixteenth two thousand three uh ruby pinker eighty eight Uh, said we used to sit and laugh at some of those dragnet episodes they would take facts from one case and mix them with facts from another there to make the stories more interesting and Uh, that's the worst i've ever come
1: across and that's not bad like that's not a that you could say a lot worse things about other shows i mean i just i've I've been a law and order fan forever which probably owes much of its lineage to this right i mean this is kind of their their grandfather in a weird way but um and then that's another show where the case is much more important than the people in it Um, they underplay the people and their emotions and it's all about the cases, which is why you can have 50 cast changes in 20 years of, of shows and not, and still have it be a top 10 show. Um, but anyway, that, that show had this, you know, spinoff SVU, which I think is, uh, I used to think was amazing. I used to think, man, look at all the awareness we're bringing to these terrible kinds of crimes. Look at this great sort of gritty look at the seedy underbelly of stuff. Certain cops have to deal with and, and so on. And then they did an episode that was about a video game and a dude who had who created this entire video game by himself and it was the world's most popular video game and it was a giant multiplayer game where everybody was in this world kind of second life is what they were sort of aiming at but it was this one guy in a room with a wall full of screens and he just controlled everything from his desk and it it just was ridiculous from top to bottom it was so not real in the, in terms of any kind of you know real reality about video games not even close it was just a laughable ridiculous pile of garbage and and it was you know it was like saying well the lawnmower man is a true story right that's kind of what that felt like and i remember being so (laughs) i remember being so angry at that episode i don't know and it turned me Mm -hmm. off i quit watching svu as a result and i you know i just wondered well did jack webb and you know maybe harry morgan ever do like a I don't know a stupid one about the levitating horse again. You and mean when, Harry Potter, <laughs> right? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry, now that would have really jumped the shark. But um,
2: I, I, I know what you're saying, Scott, and, and I think with all of these types of shows, remember they're not journalism, they're not documentaries, so they're always going to be taking liberties, and we all tend to think they're awesome until they touch on the thing we actually know about, right? The world right. we actually inhabit, and 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 then we start to. A, a lot more critical because we're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that's not the way that actually works. And and it goes one of two ways. I, in one the more positive way, I think it goes, you know, when I see the computer stuff, I say, oh, well, you know, there's a good enough story. And it's really the point of it isn't try to explain technology. So I'm going to let it go. The other way is the way you had Scott there. And that's happened to me before as well, where you're like, now I'm starting to doubt because they got it so wrong that these other things that I've been thinking are great are actually in any way accurate as well and i don't trust the show anymore at all
1: yeah it's an overall trust thing and it's like an it's like an er a doctor watching er Right, and they come away going, dude, that doesn't ever happen.
2: What a oh man, joke. I used to annoy the crap out of Eileen uh,
1: when I was taking
2: uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I was taking first responder courses to get certified as a, as a first responder at one point. And whenever she'd watch Grey's Anatomy, I'd sit there and go, oh, that, that's pretty right on. Well, they're kind of taking a shortcut there. She's like, you're not a doctor. Shut up. She wouldn't say that. She was one nice with that, but she should have said that.
1: Oh, that's funny i I didn't know she did that That makes me laugh um so andy anything else about this episode that uh you know jumps out as 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 either an indicator of what's to come or or any of the hallmarks that would become why you know people like dragnet and still revere it
3: uh you know i think we covered all the all the major points that just that it is such a process driven even in this episode where they they sort of they start out with some ideas and they keep trying like they try something and it fails and they go try something else and and the plan never quite executes the way they want it but they they still get to the end there is this kind of hilarious scene of of him running a bomb in a bucket out of the <laughs> uh out of the city hall spoiler alert right uh, you know on a sixty year old show but uh that that was kind of like they were still trying to carry this tension where I think like because we're looking at it with such modern eyes we're like well that's not how that would work i don't think like like i don't i don't think i don't think bomb disposal would involve a detective running a running a bucket of water and a bomb outside but yeah. uh, you know
2: maybe in 1951 that was the, the, maybe you know, it was and that, you know bomb
3: disposal i don't know ex- exactly i mean clearly they didn't have a little robot to send in uh yeah. but uh it made me laugh it was hilarious to yeah. watch that again uh
1: it reminds so, me of the, the 60s era Batman with a with a cherry bomb over his head. Totally. Yeah. Totally.
3: That that's exactly <laughs> what I thought when I was watching that that it, it was just maybe that's how they maybe that's how they thought they dealt with it then or maybe that's as close as they got. But uh but it was just that that sort of the process of we're going to try these things and that just uh, I kind of found fascinating because it it was still engaging. Like it just was something that like you, it was worth watching because you were watching them try and think it out. The way that, and and solve it. And it it was great.
1: Well, Tom, having made the big move to LA. Uh, Must appreciate the low, low traffic in 1951.
2: That has been entirely my experience (laughs) uh, with Los Angeles traffic. Um, Yeah, no, that that actually, this is the second time we've run into this. But with CHIPS, which was also a a crime procedural, it was because they were shooting on freeways that were under construction, right? So they actually Uh had to add the cars in. I think in this, it's just that traffic was not quite that bad yet.
3: Yeah, Uh no. Yeah, I was actually looking at that, too, and and some of the it, – it was such a lower amount of population at the time. I mean, the population – they say at sort of the beginning of every show was right around 2 million at that time, uh, which is about, you know, what, a third or maybe half of what it is today. But just the – the overgrownness like there were areas that they refer to in later episodes that are kind of the country and that's that's just part of la now like that's just you know like anaheim was the sticks at that point i think basically
2: yeah
3: it was farming farming land and uh it's just kind of crazy to see how much it's changed in in those like 50 or 60 years
1: yeah yeah and it it was nice to see smog looked pretty prevalent even in this old black and white stuff it's looked still pretty polluted to me yeah, it was the beginning of the smog days. Yeah, which, I for sure. Ugh, I, yeah, enjoy that while you're there, Tom. <laughs> know. It's, you know,
2: it's not nearly as bad. It's, what's funny is it's not as bad as it used to be. during yeah. the, the, the It reached its peak sometime in the 70s and 80s, uh, and it's probably back to 1950s levels yeah. uh, now with all of the Priuses running around and smog controls and, and et cetera. Yeah. I, I did some quick research on C4 because I was thinking, okay, maybe back in 1951, the only explosives you had would be explosives that had needed fire uh, to light right. it off. So I'm like, did C4 exist? It looks like the first use of C4 was was in the Vietnam War. So maybe the throwing the thing in the water isn't. It could be crazy or not. I mean, yeah. I by the way, total side note, I didn't realize that. That if you light C4 on fire, it just burns. It actually doesn't explode. You need the huh. you need the extreme heat and the impact to make it explode. So American soldiers during Vietnam War would use small amounts of C4 as fuel for heating their food.
1: Wow, really? Yeah,
2: C4. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, ah, you got any C4? I need to warm up these beans. That's really weird. Uh, okay. So you know, it's I I say that. As an example of sometimes the things that you think are true when you watch these TV shows and you start to laugh end up not being, being true. true, and so with Dragnet, with them so hyper focused on on reality, maybe maybe that's actually the way they did it. Maybe they really did yeah, carry totally. the bomb out of the building in a bucket. Who yeah. knows?
1: There's also this this raw. Uh, I guess I, if if I could sum up what I like about Dragnet is there is a raw non reliance on technology, mm-hmm. and it's time. It's because of the time. I get that, sure. but. But I but I but it holds up in a weird way for me because it's like this world devoid of GPS and cell phones and tracking devices and all these things that kind of sometimes ruin procedurals now. Like it's really hard for me to watch uh let's say CSI Miami, which, you know, <laughs> rest in peace, I suppose. Enhance. Uh, yeah. Enhance, zoom, <laughs> zoom in, hold it there, you know, all that garbage and just, you know, these these forensic techniques that a don't exist, but B rely on our just, you know, to go. Oh well, yeah, we got computers now, so clearly that's right. something you could do. Back then, it was just like raw. You had your suit, your tie, your hat, and your bad car, and you, that's all you had. Then it was up to your wits and your ability to talk a dude down from the cliff and or from the edge or whatever. And and I and I miss that in my in in TV. I, I don't. I'm trying to think of a modern example of that, and it's kind of hard for me to pull one out of my head that's that's also deals with maybe crime or something, but. Um, yeah, it's, I, am still trying to pull it out and nothing's coming. So it's a thing I miss and which is too bad, but we're going to talk now about what happened in the future for this show. And one of the things I wish they would go ahead and try one more time, if they just could just do it for me, that'd be great.
0: Was Connie ready to make good his promise to blow up the building by nine o'clock? If it was true, we had 24 minutes to talk him out of it. All
1: right. So. I gonna about blow what? up the building. I got 24 <laughs> minutes. Let's talk about what happened in the uh, the rest of the series. The regular series uh, debuted in 52 January of 52. Right. Uh so this pilot showed a little bit early. I guess did well.
2: What was it the Colgate Comedy Hour? I can't remember what I was The, the Chesterfield. Chesterfield
1: Sound Off Time. Love yeah. it. That's right. Uh, I missed
2: that so time. It, it burst the bonds of the Chesterfield Sound Off Time to become
1: its own show in January
2: 52.
1: I mean, I didn't live then, but I sure miss what I think was happening where you had, that's why I've been told by people older than me that we only miss it because we didn't live there. That must be true. But this idea that like Colgate or Chesterfield or Winston yeah, yeah. would, would sponsor an entire night of programming. Yeah, I love that stuff. That's too. just great. Just a great, weird corporate glitch in what would become TV in the future. Um, but anyway, some of this, so some of this other stuff, a new series ran from, uh, January 12th, 1967 to April 16th, 1970. Uh, that's the one I really remember from. That's the one with Harry Potter. Yeah, right? that, that is Harry Potter in it, <laughs> doing magic, levitating horses, and all that. Um, my here expecto <laughs> convictus. Convictus. So, so Andy, how do you feel about the 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 '60s era stuff as compared to the Foundation in radio and and early TV?
3: Oh, I mean, I think you know it was definitely just a maturing of the. What was interesting about this show that sort of I think unique from what we have today is that. Whenever it ended, it was it was Jack Webb ending the show. He decided he wanted to move on and do other things. And that's why the original Dragnet went off the air, because his his production company, Mark Seven, was ready to go on and, and work on other projects. So he sort of intentionally shut it down himself. And then decided to revive it uh, in the late '60s, uh, which is when Harry Morgan came in, and that that ran for a while. But then he he closed that down because he was getting very busy with uh, Adam Twelve um, and some of the other shows that he was doing. Because he was going on to other procedurals in other areas of of uh, sort of law enforcement or or first responder type stuff at that point.
1: It seems like he was moving on also. He seemed to have a good finger on the pulse of what the times were. So a- Adam 12 is definitely a reflection of a different era of police procedural, uh, a different look or a different takes. And also yep. we've done, you know, one of our episodes we did uh, for emergency. And emergency is a very different uh, yep. approach, but but still the same kind of sensibility of here are your public servants and here is the thing they do. They
2: all remind me in a way of the constriction that Gene Roddenberry set up for Star Trek, which was, with the next generation anyway, you can't have the humans have conflict. You have to find your story right. somewhere else. And, and while that created some truly awful stories in some ways, it created some of the best stories ever written for television. And I feel like this does the same thing, where Jack right. says, we're gonna, we're gonna explore first responders. We're gonna explore beat cops. We're gonna explore homicide. But we're going to try to stick to as authentic a representation as possible. So your story can't just, you know, sensationalize things. You have to you have to find the actual drama that existed. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think in, in a way maybe that's also – and I, I agree that, that that is almost one of the constrictions he had in his sort of Jack Webb universe here. But it, it's also one of the weakest parts of kind of all of these in that – Law enforcement are always the good guys yeah. in, in, in Dragnet for sure. But, right. but even in the other shows, there's never this sense of, of, you know they're always right and we're fighting wrong and there's never this opportunity or there's never never the, something that we would see now where well actually sometimes the bad guys are the good guys
1: yeah and it, you know it's funny it's almost like you watch something like the shield which is right. one of my favorite shows of all time but it's it is the you know it, it's the antithesis of what this is right and i almost feel like it doesn't exist without that yeah as a thing to to uh, get all yeah. ironic about and go right. against you know like it's it's funny to see that you see that in other shows too like uh you know hill street blues has a bit of that and and you see that happen in in nypd blue and stuff but it's just such an interesting dichotomy it's like well you don't you know what the shield is not as good as it is without the established idea that cops are the good guys so hey why don't we do this weird thing and go go contrary to that
3: well and i think you know web i mean web obviously did this because I mean he he really respected all of sort of the law enforcement and and wanted to be sort of authentic to it but also clearly wanted he was sort of inside with them and so he was always portraying them in the best light and and frankly it was one of the early you know they were kind of leery of even starting down this path of of having the LAPD involved with him and wanted the the right to sort of you know, reject any storylines that they thought portrayed them negatively, so they there was a lot of control from them early on in it, and I think but you wouldn't have gotten that inside look at how they deal with things without that sort of agreement, and then we later branch off in other shows in starting to sort of have that access to what the procedure is, but starting to show how that procedure can go wrong if if in the wrong hands.
1: right. Um, a third rebirth of the series is planned by Webb in eighty two but he died right before any of this could sort of happen so what you got instead was a 1987 and i we just watched this for film sack like i don't know half a dozen episodes ago and um, i saw it when i was a teenager and i remember being there's stuff to like about the dan Aykroyd thing there's moments it's funny there's some stuff but it's a send-up it's a send-up for sure and and it kind of i think it kind of marked the birth of how that was going to go for a while with a lot of made for TV or TV stuff that ended up being made into movies. They, they took the satirical route. Exactly. And I feel like that was the beginning of that. But despite what there is there to like, I remember being just abjectly disappointed because I really wanted what Jack Webb brought to the table. And honestly, I feel like one of the best dramatic actors who is often just thought of as a comedian, but can really do good dramatic work is Dan Aykroyd and his Jack Webb is freaking dead to nuts. Perfect so i think they could have played that straight i really do um they had harry morgan as his same character but now in charge of the precinct or whatever they could have just gone down a very a much more serious road and they decided not to andy what is your take on the 87 uh comedy spoof that is dragnet
3: yeah i feel like i've kind of tried to purge it from my mind because i i agree it was one of those it was uh, highly unmemorable I remember distinctly being excited about it and then seeing it and then being like oh, okay well I guess that happened yeah and then moving on um because it was one of those things where it played on this nostalgia I didn't even have a right to like I like I, I had seen Dragnet and Syndication but was certainly never you know of an age where I would have watched it originally so I definitely sort of I knew what I was getting into and then I was just disappointed by what I got
2: yeah Tom hat where how do you feel about I never saw it, uh-huh. never watched it, because I was, I, I, I'm not a, I, I wouldn't consider myself like a hardcore fan of Dragnet, but I liked it so much that I didn't, I didn't want to see a comedy version. I wanted to see a real Version of yeah. Dragnet, and there was a film version in 1954 starring Jack Webb, but it's 1954; right. it's really, you know, it's, it's very old. And there, I guess, there was a TV movie made in 1966, which is essentially just a long episode. I, so I would really like to see, and it. it's and it's sad that you know we can't have Jack Webb in it, uh, but I would really like to see a, a serious, you know,
1: reboot of Dragnet. Well, in 2003, you had one for about ten minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and I, you know what? I really liked it. I thought it was yep. great. Um, it was uh, Ed O'Neill in the uh, in the main role, and the partner played by the kid. I never remember his name, but he he played uh, Papa Giorgio in the uh, the Vacation Vegas Vacation movie. If anyone remembers that, that's that kid. But uh, he played Rusty. But anyway, he's he uh, they they came out with this thing. It was a Dick Wolf joint, so it was right. it was you know coming off the heels of very successful runs of Law and Order and spinoffs and whatnot, and everybody had really high hopes for it. And I watched everything they made. Or that they aired and it got canceled due to you know low ratings yeah. or whatever. But critically, people were like, "No, this is good," and I was into it, man. Like it was a, it was bringing that mentality forward into a modern era, and I thought it really was awesome. And I'm super pissed it didn't it didn't keep you know going. And it was also at, you know part of it. It was it's, this is Ed O'Neill in a way I hadn't seen him before, right? Because um, previous to this, it was what Married with Children and a few yeah, parts right. on Miami Vice or something, and that was it. So this was like a whole new way to look at him. He's great on Modern Family now, but I would really have loved it if they'd a, if that show would have had a little more life in it.
2: I could see a Netflix, Hulu, kind of original series reboot of Dragnet or even an HBO Showtime type of situation where they're given the freedom to just make a really good, in the spirit of Dragnet, authentic crime show reboot of this. And I like what Andy was saying about, you know what? They didn't tell all the true stories because they 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 left out anything that looked, made made the police department look bad and I, I i think that's how you you do it in the modern era is say no we're we're going to tell all the stories the good and the right. bad because there's good cops and there's bad cops and and the good cop, bad cops uh and you know and there's good bad guys and bad bad guys and i god if that, if, if that was done right that would be so rich in that Milieu that Jack Webb created. Yeah, give us
1: just a taste of the nostalgia, but but bring it all up to date. But give us you know the compelling stories we want. Give us great character stuff that we get today on TV. I mean, TV isn't such a fascinating place right now in terms of you know narrative and character and and it's just no no time like the present. This isn't written by
3: Aaron Sorkin. (laughs) When 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 I run Hollywood, I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a request that when I run Hollywood, I'm gonna have David Simon reboot Dragnet, and we're gonna get the Wire as Dragnet. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. Mind Good blown. Good call.
1: Oh, you've just, you've solved all our problems. All right. Well, Ed uh,
3: for president of Hollywood.
1: <laughs> Rock the vote. All right. Let's get to the rap party. What are you trying to prove? You know what I want. We're not going to let your brother out of jail.
0: You got till nine o'clock to change your mind.
1: Someone needs to go digitally restore that episode. Man, there's some rough audio in there, but hey, we're bro. not going to let your brother out of jail. That's right. right got till nine o'clock. Shane? I'm going to explode some stuff. <laughs> Uh, let's get to the rap party. This is just a fun little note, uh, regarding something to do with this particular pilot. Let's listen to Jack Webb in the sixties era, uh, set of episodes, school, a younger generation, uh, about life and about this country. And you've seen this kind of recently in some video mashups and some stuff to sort of remind people that, you know, who think they've got it bad. They don't know really what they've got. It's a pretty inspiring little bit of audio, no matter what area you live in, I think. And I think it kind of holds up. So it's just a piece of it, but here's about a minute of this big departure. It's from the, uh, the episode, The Big Departure. And uh, you get to hear Jack Webb do his thing. Check it out. You just don't understand.
0: Maybe we do, son. Don't think you have a corner on all of virtue vision in the country or that everybody else is fat and selfish and you're the first generation to come along that's felt dissatisfied. They all have, you know, about different things. And most of them didn't have the same opportunity and freedoms that you do. Let's talk poverty. Most places in the world, that's not a problem. It's a way of life. And rights they're liable to give you a blank stare because they may not know what you're talking about. The fact is, more people are living better right here than anywhere else ever before in history. So don't expect us to roll over and play dead when you say you're dissatisfied. It's not perfect, but it's a great deal better than when we grew up. A hundred men standing in the street hoping for one job, selling apples on the street corner. That's one of the things we were dissatisfied about, and you don't see that much anymore. You're taller, stronger, healthier, better educated, and you live longer than the last generation. And we don't think that's altogether bad. You've probably never seen a quarantine sign in your neighbor's door. Diphtheria, scarlet fever, whooping cough. Probably none of your classmates are crippled with polio. You don't see many mastoid scars anymore. We've done quite a bit of fighting all around the world. Whether you think it was moral or not, a lot of people are free today to make their own mistakes because of it. And that may just include you. I don't know. Maybe part of it's the fact that you're in a hurry. You've grown up on instant orange juice. Flip a dial, instant entertainment. Dial seven digits, instant communication. Turn a key, push a pedal, instant transportation. Flash a card, instant money. Shoving a problem, push a few buttons, instant answers. But some problems you can't get quick answers to, no matter how much you
1: want them. That's pretty good, man. That's awesome. That's pretty good. You know, like you know that internet. Ge- wait a minute, he's not talking about the internet <laughs> generation. What the? <laughs> Well, I mean that's why it seems so prescient. It was like, oh, like this sort of applies today, you know. Like I I don't know. There's something about his delivery and even though there's a lot of high-mindedness going on there and stuff and yeah, idealism. it actually got my back up a little. I'm like,
2: yeah, well, you know what? Our life expectancy isn't greater now and our infant mortality, that rate is actually worse than it was back then. <laughs> uh, wait a
1: minute. Yeah, right. sure. But it's there is so you're you're not wrong, but there's a there's a there's a part of me that just likes to wallow in that idealism i like yeah. it and uh, i like that you know some hippies being put in his place by by old jack webb and his tight suit and his and his partner over there harry potter as as tom would say <laughs> uh so yeah there you go a little piece of uh a little piece of the 60s era stuff and um i think we can all agree you know it's a it's just a cool show and it's something i miss and watching this episode has done two things it's made me want to go through and watch more i uh, yep. I definitely want to watch more but i uh, i also would love to see us try to rebirth that thing. You can't skip too much of a generation though it's like there's there's gonna be a whole bunch of people you know born five years ago that will be twenty and thirty and not have any idea what dragnet is if we don't do something about it and i'm not <laughs> this makes it sound like <laughs> call to important. arms here but <laughs> it's a niche
2: it's a niche thing right you're gonna you're gonna have a bunch of people who are gonna discover it on Netflix and things like that. Uh, and, but, but it's not going to be the same as, as when, you know, we were, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I discovered Dragnet in those four o'clock reruns on channel 11 after mm-hmm. school, you mm-hmm. know, that, that kind of situation, not by choice, just like, Hey, this looks cool. I think I'll
1: watch this for a while. Yeah. Well, I got my kids into it a little bit. We found like dollar videos at Walmart in the bin and, uh, mm-hmm. they'd have like 12 episodes on there and nice. they, they really got into that and stuff. Um, but there you have it, Andy, any, uh, any closing thoughts on, uh, on Dragnet, before we uh before we cut you loose
3: no i think uh i think we we've probably uh done it justice i would say
1: well i agree and you have been you've done this episode justice you've been a fantastic guest um can't, thank c- you cannot thank you enough for being here and uh, for supporting the show in the way I that know. you did it's been great uh do tell where can people find you online we'd like to send them your way where can they follow you
3: oh gosh uh they can find me uh on twitter as andy beach Uh, and, uh, you can find me on my, uh, one of my several websites that I, I have, uh, juking around, uh, for video stuff I have called the video uprising, uh, where I talk about all the the crazy things going on as we, we move from cable and satellite into watching things over the web and over the top.
1: Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Good stuff. You want to find out more, go check them out. Again, Andy Beach, beach spelled B E A C H, like the place you want to go hang out and get a tan.
3: Exactly
2: right. Uh, Huge thanks, Andy. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Can't, thanks for having me can't on. can say it I enough.
1: It. Hey, next week, everybody, guess what? Bonus episode because... Another cop show. We. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different class, let's say, but another cop show indeed. It is the aired but never uh, made into a full series Puchinski, uh, which a lot of people had suggested, and we decided this would be the perfect uh, stretch goal bonus episode, 13th episode uh, to cover and so we are it's Puchinski and I uh, cannot wait to see what uh
2: Peter Boyle, Peter
1: Boyle does with the role the Jack Web of Puchinski <laughs> I guess it kind of is isn't he in, in a way real dumb way Puchinski owes its life to the existence of Dragnet let's just it say, it say that does, yeah so that'll be next week join us for that won't you as we finish out this season Uh, And for those wondering, hey, isn't there another bonus one for some of the levels of the Kickstarter thing? Absolutely there are, but you're going to get that secret, super secret thing sent to you directly. Because uh, that's just how much we love you. Uh, Don't forget, you can find us on the web at autopilotshow.com. You can also email us, autopilotshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Scott Johnson, Tom at Ace Detect, and again, Andy at Andy Beach. You can also find the show itself at autopilotshow. I recommend you follow all of those. Uh, that's gonna do it for us, for me, for Tom, and for the for the beach himself. <laughs> we'll see you next time. You want a sandwich? <laughs> other shows visit frogpants.com audio program so good it's like you're there